Do you like what you're hearing right now? Then be sure to check out VOC Nation. Whether it's on VOCNation.com or your favorite podcast provider, VOC Nation offers the greatest in live and on-demand content, great interviews, and incredible insight from those who have lived the business. Seven days a week, VOCNation.com. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter at VOCNation. Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today, I can't even describe it. Great guy, always frequent flyer here, true gentleman, historian of the great sport of professional wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce Mr. George Shire. George, thanks for coming on today. Mr. Brian Ferguson, <laughs> Mr. George, I always told people, I said, my dad was Mr. George Shire. I was just George. <laughs> well, oh, you know, it's good to be back, my friend. It's good to have you on. And today I would like to talk about, I'm sure the fans want to hear about the territory, the Pacific Northwest. Wow. That's okay. That is a, uh, you know, you don't hear about that too much, unfortunately. Um, it was a prominent territory back in the day. A lot of wrestlers either started there or made their way through there uh, in the, you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, in the early 80s. And, uh, since you're the true historian, if you will, of this one, one profession. Of, one of some. How's that? <laughs> one of some. I would like to talk about kind of like, okay, so first we'll talk a bit about how this promotion territory kind of got up and some of its prominence. So let's talk about kind of the beginnings of the territory, if we could, George. Well, you know, when, when you mentioned territory, you know, if, if fans today, Brian, could just understand how unique it was, you know, today when we have basically one product, one one promotion out there, I mean, there's a couple that are trying to always match it and hang on, but we really only have one big one. And, yeah. You know, when when I was growing up, I mean, and I've alluded to this many times, we had three TV stations, every town did. And you had, usually if you were in a bigger territory, you had uh, one station that would host their version of All-Star Wrestling under various names. It could be All-Star Wrestling, uh, Championship Wrestling, you know, Big Time Wrestling, whatever they called their programs. But those territories were so unique because... Each of them could have 20, 30 guys on their roster. And a lot of times, unless you bought a, a newsstand wrestling magazine, you never heard about some of these guys, you know, when you lived in whatever territory you were in. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I lived, breathed the AWA. And during, of course, the 50s when it was still NWA, but then into the 60s when it's AWA, 70s AWA, early 80s AWA, um, man, we had a revolving door of a who's who of wrestlers that came to the territory. And the beauty of these territories was that a wrestler could come in 
and and I think fans have heard me say this. Generally speaking, you go into a territory for a year, year and a half, two years. You do your character, your gimmick, your shtick. You work yourself up the cards. You're in the main events. And eventually, it's going to be time to move on because either your character or your push or whatever got stale. And there's some new blood coming in. And so it was really a revolving door. And when you have the United States divided into approximately 25, 26 territories, give or take at whatever time, there was always a place for these guys to go or a place for them to come from. And it was, uh, it was just entertaining, but we didn't know it because we just had our little window where if they told us that Vern Gagne and Mad Dog Vashon and the Crusher, they were the elite. Okay. We believed them. Because we didn't see these other guys, unless I say you bought a newsstand magazine, you might hear about somebody. But of these many territories, the Pacific Northwest, which encompasses like Oregon, Washington, uh, Vancouver, and smaller towns all around, really was one of the most thriving territories. And I think um, when you mentioned some of the names, I think you're going to be surprised when some of these names that I'm, I'm going to pull out of my head here, uh, you'd be surprised to know that many of the stars that I grew up with in the AWA, many of them got an early start or a push or were mainstays in the Pacific Northwest. And some of the later stars from the 70s and into the 80s were big stars, names in the Pacific Northwest. It was yeah. a territory that was um, was run by a guy named Don Owen. He was the mm -hmm. promoter. And you're going to hear this from various guys, Brian, as you talk to him that worked for Don Owen. You're going to hear him say that, you know, he was always a good pay guy. Basically meaning that when, when a wrestler went up there and worked for Don, um, whatever they agreed on for pay, Don kept his word. And Don paid out and sometimes paid better than some of the other territories. And that was big in the territory days because there were guys that would travel around and there were some promoters that were kind of the shysters. And, you know, I can't pay you what I promised you because the houses haven't been good or, you know, we didn't have a good gate tonight. And whatever their excuses were, some of them just would give them less. And, you know, so you had the promoters that had reputations. And Don Owen, he was one of those guys that, like I say, if you can list 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 wrestlers of that era, most of them will tell you, boy, if they worked for Don Owen, it was a good was a good time, good payday. They had a good, uh, good run there. And I think that's something to be proud of. Because it's an elite group when we're talking about promoters. Don yeah. Owen, you'll hear his name mentioned with Sam Muchnick. You'll hear it mentioned with Vern Gagne, Wally Carbo. Mm -hmm. And I yep. mean, I do want to say when I say Vern Gagne, Wally Carbo, because we know that in the end of the AWA, things weren't like they were 5, 10, 15, 20 years earlier, okay? Right. But Vern was always yeah. respected. And then you had, yeah. as I mentioned, Sam Muchnick, Paul Bosch in Houston. Always considered a good payment. Um, Eddie Graham was always good in, in Florida. So, and Roy Shire always 
for most part, uh, the guys always enjoyed going to work for Shire out in California. And so Don Owen had that going for him. And uh, he, he seemed to be able to harvest a lot of young talent and bring it to the territory. And he also seemed to have talent that, like most territories, had mainstays that the guys, the territory could kind of be built around over the years. Yeah. And, you know, when I say the mainstays for AWA fans, you know, it was Crusher, Vern, Hennig, Mad Dog, Bachwinkle, maybe Bobby Heenan you throw in there. But all of the people that came in eventually ended up in programs with those mainstays. They lived here or not necessarily lived here, but they were the, they were the stars. So Pacific Northwest, um, I think the Pacific Northwest with Don Owens really got flourishing around the mid, the later 50s, um, 57-ish, and Don took over. Um, he established his own championships in that part of the country. They were, they were a member of the National Wrestling Alliance, but mm -hmm. he had Pacific Northwest Championship. And it was a long running title that, you know, was one of the highlights of his cards. And then he also had the um, big tag team area. They had the Pacific Coast, or not Pacific Coast, the Pacific Northwest Tag Team Championship, usually with the okay. NWA in front of it. But uh, some of the names that go through there, um, Don Owens, you might, you might have heard this. Maybe it's, it has been told. He was the one that gave Mad Dog Vashon the name Mad Dog. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Mad Dog had come up from Hawaii, wrestling in Hawaii. Maurice Vashon had come up to uh, work in the Pacific Northwest. And Maurice had been not really going anywhere special in the business. I mean, he was Maurice Vashon out of Canada. But uh, he went up to work with Don Owen, and he was kind of testing his testing the waters as to be a heel. And he was in a particular match on television on their version of whatever they called their program. I, I don't recall what the wrestling program was called, but uh, Maurice kind of went nuts on an opponent and he was poking the guy in the eyes, and scratching his back and, you know, kind of stomping on him. And Don Owen was doing commentary and he made the comment and it was, from all accounts, it appears it was just a comment that came off his lips. He made something to the effect of, you know, Maurice Vachon is acting like a bad dog in the ring today. Something to that effect. And, of course, Mad Dog Vachon was, was created. And Maurice Vachon, Maurice was never around after that. And that's where it started. <laughs> and that was around 1962, 63, where... Mad Dog Vashon came around. Now, Mad Dog held the, um, I mentioned the Pacific Northwest title. Mm -hmm. um, Mad Dog held that championship a few times in the 60s. So he was kind of their top dog, no pun intended. Well, I guess it could be intended what they had. Yeah. Um, but some of the other guys in the 60s that, uh, even the later 50s, but in the 60s, a young, younger rookie 
maybe what was he in the six early sixties? He'd have been about it nine years into the business. Was a guy named Nick Bockwinkel, a babyface, and Nick Bockwinkel was, uh, uh, I believe, a two-time Pacific Northwest champion. So he got a, a decent okay. push there. He was like the top babyface, and uh, as I mentioned, Mad Dog. There was a mask guy there that held the tag, the uh, singles title by the name of the destroyer. And uh, that was our buddy, Dick Beyer, who in the sixties uh, had a uh, Pacific Northwest championship run. Uh, twice. He, he won the title. And uh, I would also point out that like, just talking about Nick and, and destroyer, they also both held with partners the uh, Pacific Northwest Tag Team title. Mm -hmm. uh, Destroyer held it with Don Manukian. Nick Bockwinkle held it with a guy named, uh, at the time, the guy he teamed with was named Buddy Marino. Uh, Buddy Marino was actually uh, a few other names in the business, one of them being Omar Negro, who was teamed with his brother, Cyclone Negro. And uh, I think Buddy had another name too. Oh, Omar Atlas. Yeah, Omar Atlas. So if you see that right. name, uh, that was Buddy Marino. But he was a youngster that, that Nick had kind of taken under his wing at that time. So that was a star. And Buddy went on to some good success in Central States and in Florida and, and uh, other territories. Um, trying to think of some other names. Pat Patterson. Pat Patterson got a lot of his early run. He was out on the uh, Pacific coast in San Francisco yeah. and he was up yep. in Canada. And then he also worked for Don Owen and he and Ray Stevens actually co-held the Pacific Northwest tag team title for a spell. And of course, Ray being a little bit more of a veteran at that point than Pat, but they had a good run there. Pat held the, mm -hmm. uh, um, the Pacific Northwest championship four times. Oh, four wow. Okay. Times. So he was kind of getting the push and putting people over and then winning it back. And so that's pretty good. Um, let's see. One of their real mainstays became Dutch Savage. And Dutch kind of became like what a Nick Bockwinkel would have been to Vern Gagne. He was there. He was dependable. He was a guy that Don Owen could count on. Uh, Dutch would usually, you know, he was there to do whatever was asked of him. If he's supposed to put someone over, he'll do it. He's going to win. He'll do it. But he was extremely well liked by the fans. So he was a very mm -hmm. popular figure and uh, wrestled both as a heel at one time. And then I, and then a baby in, his, in the seventies, he became one of their most popular. Um, he had a long association with a guy named Jimmy Snuka. Who was uh, a youngster in the early seventies. Um, Vern had he had uh, Vern had Jimmy Snuka here as Lonnie Kealoha, but he was Jimmy Snuka in the Pacific okay. Northwest. And uh, Snuka and Savage, oh my gosh, they held the title. I don't know how many times, maybe five, six, seven times. They were perennial tag team champions. They were kind of like uh, uh, the Crusher and the Bruiser would have been in the Midwest. You know, they win it, they lose it. Yeah. They win it, they lose it. But they were always there, and the fans knew they could. Very popular. Yeah. So uh, another guy that uh, was uh, became a mainstay 
really ran and pretty much ran uh, roughshod was a guy named Buddy Rose, Playboy. Buddy, Buddy Rose, Rose, Playboy, yeah. Yeah, and he was a uh, he came in as a, a young rookie, but got nurtured in. You know, the Buddy Rose character was created in Texas by, uh, you know, I think if I remember right. This might be one time when I, I might not be correct. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think it was Terry Funk. I think it was Terry Funk that gave Paul Pershman the Buddy Rose name. Or there, or yeah. at least at one point he started calling. Well, anyway, Buddy Rose, we know how big he was in the Pacific Northwest. He was Pacific uh, Northwest champion a number of times. Um, at 217 pounds. Yeah, well, he, he, was, he never weighed. He never weighed anymore. What are you insinuating? No. <laughs> Two hundred and seventeen lean pounds. pounds. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Buddy Rose probably held that championship about seven or eight, nine times, somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, so definitely one that was put over a lot. He drew the crowd. He had a lot of heat in that territory. And we know Buddy had success in other territories too, but that I think other than, you know, later in the AWA when he got a push coming back home here mm -hmm. uh, with Doug Summers, um, he, he was, he was huge. No pun intended in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> a youngster named Kurt Hennig had a, had a run, got an early push in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, you know, Mr. Perfect fans will appreciate that Kurt had a uh, Pacific Northwest title run pretty much as a rookie. And he also had a tag team run where they won the champion, where he won the championship with his daddy, Larry, <laughs> the ax and uh, Larry had actually come out of uh, semi-retirement and went to the Pacific Northwest to work with, with uh, Kurt. And they had a brief run with the title. Um, I think it was Kurt and Larry won the title from, uh, I think it was Buddy Rose and Rip Oliver. Okay. Who was, was getting a, it was a blonde heel there, real good over guy. And uh, I know it was a short-lived title run. So the Pacific Northwest, though, you just some of those names I mentioned, you can see how they had early starts or continuous shots that yeah. made them stars all over the country. <laughs> um, obviously, Ed Francis, the Hawaii promoter, was up there a lot. There was a guy named um, King Curtis. Yes. I, never, I never knew how to pronounce King Curtis's last name. It's I-A-U-K-E-A. -E I don't know if it was Iakea or Iakea or something. I know I'm close, but if I'm mispronouncing <laughs> it, folks, you know, Give me a break. <laughs> yeah. he, he was he was a star there. Um, a guy that you and I have talked about had a had a couple time run, uh, maybe two or three times with the Pacific Northwest title. He was under a mask by the name of the Grappler. Len ah, Denton, yes, Len Lynn Denton. Denton, Len Denton, depending on. Uh, yeah. Uh, and even uh, one guy that uh, became different names during his career, but he had a great run as a heel 
in the Pacific Northwest. Ed Wiskoski, who later became yeah. the uh, Colonel De Beers. The whole, whole different character. <laughs> and uh, he also didn't, he, and you might know this because you followed the current stuff more. Didn't De Beers have a short run in the WWF under some different name? Yeah, a very, a very short run. Um, uh, it's escaping yeah, it me. Yeah, I can't remember either what his name was, but, but it wasn't short, very long. Had a short yeah, run. It was a short yeah. run. Yeah. yeah. So, but he'll, and then he also formed a team with uh, uh, Wiskowski, also formed a team with Buddy Rose uh, okay. in the Pacific Northwest. So they had championship runs. Um, people remember, uh, this is one I always thought was fun. This guy always intrigued me just because he, his wrestling, uh, he seemed to have some pushes in California and the Pacific Northwest. Had a little bit of a rundown in Texas. Guy named Pepper Martin. Okay. And, uh, Pepper Martin. And th the fun part that I like about it is that if there's any Superman 2 movie fans out there from about 1982, the Christopher Reeve Superman, the Superman 2 movie, um, Pepper Martin had a role in there. He's the bully in the diner that beats up Clark Kent. Okay. When when All Superman right. had temporarily lost his powers and Clark yeah. Diner dining car. And Pepper Martin is there. He's a bully and he gets he starts calling Clark four eyes and kind of picking on him and he beats him up a little bit. The highlight of the movie is that at the end of the movie, when Superman got his powers back, he goes back into the diner. And when the Pepper Martin character says something to the Vex, what are you, what are you back here for, fair, four eyes or something? And Clark can't just yeah. takes him apart. And Pepper Martin asks him, what did he do? And he goes, working out, you know, and he throws him on top of a, throws Pepper Martin on top of a, uh, a pinball machine and the pinball machine goes tilt. And that was kind of the classic, you know, you can clap at the end because yeah. that's Pepper Martin. And uh, he had other movie, uh, movie and TV roles too. So kind of an interesting career, but he was very over in the Pacific yeah. Northwest in the sixties. And he held their okay. championship, both singles and tag. Um, I always found that interesting. Yeah. Um, we had, they had another guy. There. I'm on a roll here. You uh, are. One, another one that really got his roots in the business in the Pacific Northwest was uh, a former governor of Minnesota, Jesse the Body Ventura. Jesse the and, Body. Uh, yeah. And he, uh, he was over as a heel in the late 70s in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, and right into uh, right in the end of the 70s, maybe very early 80, he was still there. And Jesse was over uh, playing pretty much the same character that we saw him as here. You know, the mm -hmm. kind of the muscle muscle beach beach guy, you know, yeah. copying Hogan and Superstar. Well, was probably not Hogan as much then, but definitely Superstar Billy Graham. Yeah, copy yeah, yeah, copy. But him, he yeah. had, Jesse had runs, uh, with the, the tag team title with, uh, he held it with Buddy Rose. Okay. Um, held it with Bull Ramos. 
who was one of their big stars. Bull Ramos was one of those. I don't know if you if you remember what he looked like. Um, wasn't the tallest wrestler, kind yeah. of barrel chested, but an Apache. They called him Apache Bull Ramos at times. And okay. uh, he was over as a good heel there, had runs with against Dutch and, you know. Yeah. So, and, and then he made it out on the East Coast a little bit to the WWF. He had a, a short run with Bruno because they'd bring yeah. in a heel and build him up in the WWF for Bruno. And then Bruno would go around the horn and then the heel would leave. Uh, I think that was really one of the... For Bull Ramos, I think that might have been his, but he made it big in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Um, they also had another guy that uh, was a couple time Pacific Northwest champion by the name of Billy White Wolf. Uh -huh. And we know that he morphed in later to become Sheik Adnan L. Casey as a hated Iraqi's heel. Yes. Um, but Billy White Wolf, as as a Native American at the time, uh, he had that he did that in Texas. He did that in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, he and Mad Dog Vashon, as Billy White Wolf, he and Mad Dog also exchanged the Pacific Northwest Heavyweight Championship. So when they showed up in the AWA later on, battling one another, um, you know, you can see that they'd had a history, and so did yeah. Nick. Um, Nick Bockwinkle, while he was in the Pacific Northwest and when he was in Hawaii, he and Billy White Wolf were actually roommates on the road. Oh, wow. And we know later okay. that Nick and Nick and Sheik had feuded here in the AWA. So it's mm -hmm. a little one of those inside things. But they traveled together a little bit uh, while they were in the Hawaii and Pacific Northwest area. So kind of giving you a feel there for some of them. Yeah. Now I'll let you... I was gonna say, uh, you know, I I've heard about Roddy Piper. Oh, oh yeah, that's some really strong roots there in the Pacific yeah. Northwest, and how he really developed there. Then you know he went, you know, Mid Atlantic and all that, Georgia, oh. but he really start got his uh, big break in yeah. Portland, and then I've heard a story. To where uh, when Kurt Henning was the AWA world champion, mm -hmm. he went to the Pacific Northwest Territory uh, and as a favor to, to Don. I think you might have told this story. I don't. I can't remember. I, I don't recall he, that I've told it, but I know it. But he did him a favor. Yeah. Uh, you know, with the AWA world title. Didn't ask Vern or anybody. He just went and did it. Yeah. And then well, he, you know, I don't know if that's true, but I've that's what I've heard. No, I, I have no doubt that it was true because, you know, one of the things that I pointed out earlier is that Don Owen had that reputation, Brian, where mm. the guys like to work for it because mm. Don was fair. You know, if, like I said, if Don told you you were going to get paid X dollars, you got paid X dollars. There was mm -hmm. no excuse. There was no, I can't, or I couldn't, or this happened, that happened. Um, and, and Don was good to his word. You know, he told the boys what he was going to do with them for them, you know, as far as their push or lack thereof. And he was always fair with them. 
most of the yeah. I, I've never in fact I shouldn't say most because I've never heard any wrestler speak ill of Don Owen. Yeah. Um, now, when you mentioned that Kurt Hennig thing, and I want to touch on, let's go back to Roddy Piper, because, yeah, he definitely, sure. you know, when yeah. I was on trying to roll off at the top of my head, yeah. here, um, different guys, I'd point out that Roddy was not always a heel that we remember him to be. He was a baby face in, in Portland, or mm -hmm. I, I say Portland because that was kind of the headquarters of the yeah. Pacific Northwest. But again, it's Washington State. Um, Oregon and uh, Vancouver and uh, all the surrounding small towns that they they ran in. Um, but Roddy Piper formed a team with a guy that we're all familiar with, Ricky Martel. And they uh, yeah. were in the Pacific Northwest. So you see with the Pacific Northwest, when you look at the talent that I've rattled off to you, and I'm yeah. going to also throw in Gene Kaniski. He was, he was big in the Pacific Northwest. He also had, he was also, uh, I believe he was part owner of the, of the Vancouver uh, promotion yeah. for a while. Yeah. Gene was, so there were some ties there, but um, these guys were very loyal and it was a place for them to go. Sometimes you know, like they're coming from a territory before they go to their next big territory, they could go to yeah. the Pacific Northwest stopping grounds and, a lot of times when the boys would come, you know, to go to Japan, AWA guys, when they were going to go to Japan, a lot of them would stop in Portland, pick up a payday, head down to Hawaii, pick up a payday, go to Japan for their two weeks or whatever the tour was, come back up into Hawaii, back up through Portland, come into Minneapolis, for example. And they would do that if they were going into Florida or wherever, too. They'd, you know, get a, a pit stop along the way. Now, yeah. I have told this story. I had mentioned to you um, how Mad Dog got the name from Don Owen. Yes. And Don Owen always took care of Mad Dog. I mean, if Mad Dog wanted to pick up a payday, he could call up Don and go in. And, and of course, Mad Dog was over. I mean, you talk about in his, yeah. in his heyday, in his heel days, you know, this, guy's would, this guy would scare the skin off him. And um, yeah. so you talk about a favor, um, and this I have told before, but I think it's interesting in this respect. Don Owen had a tag team that he was working to get over a couple of Germans, Kurt mm. and Carl von Steiger. Steiger. And Steiger, or Steiger. I, I don't know how they pronounce it. I think it's Steiger, Steiger yeah. S-T-I-E-G-E-R. So. I always yeah. said Steiger, and I don't. I don't recall that I've ever actually heard him introduced, but so I go with Von Steiger. But anyway, Kurt and Carl Von Steiger, and they were his, like Don Owen's top team at the point. Well, in February of 1971, Vern Gagne's tag team champions, AWA champions, were Mad Dog and Butcher Vashon. And they were going, the Vashans were going over to defend the tag team title. It was one of Vern's deals he worked out with Baba in Japan, Shohei Baba. Mm -hmm. And the Vashans were going over to Japan for one of their eight-week American tours that they did. And on the way there, Mad Dog and Butcher stopped in Portland. And as a favor to Don Owen, 
Mad Dog, he he just worked out his little deal. He agreed that he and Butcher would put the Von Steigers over and let the Von Steigers win. And the Von Steigers are reported to have won the AWA tag team title. The Vashans that it was a one match thing. The Vashans then took off and went to Japan. And see, this is the interesting thing when you're doing history or historical research, because if you look at the history of the AWA tag team title, uh-huh. there is no mention of the Von Steigers in there because they weren't part of the AWA. Portland had right. nothing to do with the AWA. Yeah. So Mad Dog went over there with that. Don Owens, for two weeks, and I've got results that show the Von Steigers defending the AWA World Tag Team title in whatever cities they're in, in the Pacific yeah. North. Yeah. But the, the irony of it is, is that in Japan, the Vashans are recognized as AWA World Tag <laughs> Team Chief. Now, in Kayfabe, you got to remember, 71. Kayfabe, yeah. Yeah. The 99% of the fans never knew this. The promoters could get away with this. And mm-hmm. it worked. So the Von Steigers got over huge because they had won the title. And then when the Vashans came back home, coming to Minneapolis, mm-hmm. they stopped back over in March, the first week or whatever it was, a month, it was a month later in March. Yeah. And they had another rematch. You know, we want a rematch with the Von Steigers. We want to get our title back. Yeah. And the Von Steigers lost it back to them. Mad Dog and Butcher come home. Now, this is interesting, and I know this for a fact. Vern got wind of the fact that Mad Dog had worked out this supposed title change, and Vern got irritated. It's like, what the <laughs> hell are you doing? Mad Dog says, he got really ticked at me, and, and Mad yeah. Dog says, nobody knows it. You know, it was kayfabe. I mean, nobody ever knew it. You know, yeah. they just came back from Japan, Yeah, and... Uh, but yeah, that was a favor done by Mad Dog. And Mad Dog, I, I actually had this story told to me by Mad Dog one time when we were okay. chatting at Cauliflower. Okay. Mad Dog says, you know, I, I just wanted to do a favor. And his Mad Dog voice, no less, you know, because he yeah, had yeah. that voice that was real. <laughs> but he says, you know, I just wanted to do a favor for Don Owen. Yeah. And they did. But yeah, yeah. Vern got ticked. So that's one of those, those weird things where favors were done. It didn't yeah. hurt anybody. And then right. I will add that in March of 71, um, it was in April, just a month later, that uh, Mad Dog and Butcher had given notice to Ver that they were going to, they wanted to drop the belts because they were going to be moving up to Montreal and be involved <clears throat> in the Grand Prix wrestling promotion that was right. sort of an upstart at, the, at that point, but they right. were going to butcher was heavy into it and mad dog was going to definitely be one of his star heels mm-hmm. so that ventured off and then we know that you know Vern took the title off of the vishans um in may may 15th of uh, 71 and mm-hmm. put it on red bastine and yeah. hercules cortez and that's how that right yeah. so that's how it happened with the shots and i mentioned red bastine I would point out that very early in his career, and this would be back uh, like close to the 
end of the 50s. Uh, Red Bastine was still in his rookie years, and he held the Pacific Northwest Junior Heavyweight Championship. So he had some early roots in the Pacific Northwest as okay. well. Very wow. interesting territory. Yeah, yeah, it is. Sounds like it. So, you know, eventually, unfortunately, the the 80s was not a very good time for a lot of the territories. They ended up going under. I think Don was one of the last ones, if I remember correctly. I know he was, well, he was because Henning did him a favor, and that was 87 Yeah, it was like 86, 86 or, yeah. He did him a favor with the... Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, what do you think in the mind of those, like Don Owen, you know, the promoter, like he tried, I know he tried to get all these TV deals and, you know, he couldn't get a TV deal anymore. He had this deal for so many years where he was on TV, if I remember correctly, uh, and all he wanted was a TV and the sponsorship uh, went to the television station, if I remember correctly. Yeah. He just wanted the TV spot. That was their deal for like 25 years yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And then, of course, McMahon came in, offered the station, I'm going to give you X dollars, and yeah. you can keep your sponsorship. And <laughs> it, it, it he, he was, you know, unfortunately, he was... Finished. Well, you have to realize that, again, now we're pushing into that later 80s, you know, getting okay. close to the early 1990, et cetera. And if you if you look at the history books and we've talked about this now on a few podcasts because it is yeah. 40, it is 40 years now. There's just yeah. this past December that, yeah. uh, as I call it, Vince McMahon fired the first bullet in the uh, national expansion yeah. attempt when he took yeah. Hulk Hogan when he took Gene Okerlund when he took yeah. Jesse Ventura when he took David Schultz those were his first entrees and then he started to go around to the various territories and mm-hmm. he was you know the thing was Brian is you just hit on it he was going into these territories and paying TV stations to not run the local promotion and don owen had actually went for a short time i was when you were talking that i was trying to think i can't remember in the twin cities in like 1983 84 we didn't yet have a lot of cable accessibility it was still in its infancy Mm -hmm. cable television but we had um we had a station that popped up it was channel 29 you know we normally had the the four, five, nine, and eleven were our four channels. Yeah, and we had public television channel two, but the four primaries, yeah. and then we had this channel twenty nine that showed up, and it was one of those stations. I can't think. You'll probably know the name, but we had to go out and get a special antenna to put on the TV to pick it up, and it was yeah. a Twin Cities station. And God, it just bugs me because I had to do it to get channel twenty nine. They were doing reruns and stuff, but anyway. That's what Don Owen ended up having to do. Go on sort of the the antenna TV type thing. But yeah. again, 
you know, if you look at guys like uh, Buddy Rose, let's use him. What a big star he was for Don Owen. You go to yeah. the WrestleMania 1985, the first WrestleMania. Well, who was in the opening match on that card? People don't know that it was Buddy Rose, but there was a masked wrestler on that opening match. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, I forget yeah. what his what he was called. Uh, yeah, I don't either remember. But it was but Buddy yeah, Rose. And yeah. what Vince did, and you know, the Pacific Northwest being the vibrant territory that it was, and so accessible to so many wrestlers mm -hmm. and talent through the years, Vince would take these guys. You know, he took Piper, he took Rose, he took. We know eventually later on he took Kurt Henning, but right. um, you know, these were guys that were the feeder system. We know we got super nice Superfly Snuka out of it, and he was. Yeah. He was like, he was like a god at the time in Pacific Northwest. If I say Portland, anytime folks listen, we, we know what you're talking about. But the whole thing, and if know, I, you know, it's like when I say Minneapolis, about. I yeah, know it's yeah, yeah. AWA. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, Snuka was another one, and that's what Vince did. And you know, as you broke down the territories, I mean, we know by the time we got to the mid '90s, it was all but over. Yeah, it really was. It. It that Vince had just drained them all slowly with all of their their versions of a Hulk Hogan, whoever it was. Uh -huh. You know, he went to Mid South, pulled out the junkyard dog, yep. captured Ted DiBiase, who was over in the South, but he made him yep. the million dollar man. He yep. took, uh, he got the Freebirds. Yep. You know, Vince just kept pulling, and it isn't that he wanted these guys or needed these guys, but he did it because. You know, I've had, which brings up a very good point. I've had people say, well, you know, back in the 80s, I saw so-and-so working for Vince and he was doing jobs. You know, Rene Goulet comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, well, Rene Goulet went in and yeah, he jobbed, he put everybody over. But Rene Goulet was getting paid good money. Yeah. But Vince took him from both Bruiser, Indianapolis Group, and Vern, Minneapolis. Yeah. He took him from yeah. us. And it, it was all of this where uh, it was more Vince wanted to be king of the hill. Yeah. And it worked. And yeah. it is, you it, know, what it is. But that's what happened to Don Owen. And eventually when you can't have TV, when you can't promote your weekly or monthly, bi-weekly cards yep. um, via that TV outlet, and you can't depend on your talent to be there. You know, eventually, sadly, if you looked at the Pacific Northwest by the time 1990 came around, yeah. They had people on their cards that they were promoting and people are going, who, you know, I look at the, I look at the AWA for the past, I think the last two years were just pathetic. You've heard me say this. It was yeah. so sad to watch it. You had guys yeah. that were main eventing that like five years earlier would have been an opener at best. Yeah. And now they're trying to put them over as the second coming of God, you know? Yeah. So yeah. that's yeah. what Don Owen fell upon to. And eventually, yeah. it's just I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And Vince wins another territory. One more person that <clears throat> we haven't mentioned. Wow. Billy Jack Haynes. Oh yeah. Yep. He was a he was big in Pacific Northwest. Yep. yep. He got a push in uh, in the NWA for a little while. Then he got a little yep. push in the WWF, and then he kind of uh, fell to the wayside. Um, 
but he was big in Portland. I, yeah. I, I do remember that. I mean, I didn't watch a lot of Portland. I got it once in a while because, you know, I lived in Wisconsin back then when I was a kid, but Billy Jack Haynes was a big, big name for, for Portland as well. I just wanted to throw that out there because I know in the comments after this comes out, they're going to say, well, what about Billy Jack Haynes? Because well, he was a big, 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 big star in Portland, for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt that for a couple of years there, he was like in the 80s, the early 80s, mid 80s, yeah. maybe. Yeah, he was yeah, he yeah. was their big one of their really big baby faces right. over with, you know, obviously over, you know, they would tell you he's over with the with the ladies and. You know yeah, the yeah. good looks, and he had the bill. Yeah. He was a yeah. good-looking young man, um, yeah. and and like he went to the WWF. But you know, again, they just they were yeah. using him as fodder, and <clears throat> how he fell out of the. You know, again, Brian. The key thing is, is that so many wrestlers, eventually, because there was no place to go. Yeah. Um. As we got into the through, the, you know, we were working through the '90s, and you get into the mm-hmm. 2000s. Any of those guys that were still left over and may have had a little bit of gas in the tank yet to draw money, they yeah. weren't doing it because there wasn't any place to go. Right, exactly. And and so, you know, I tell this to people, I say, Vince McMahon, the, the WWFE now, um, yeah, it looks glitzier, it looks bigger, it's promoted, you know, all the pyrotechnics, pyrotechnics and the fireworks and, and it's, it's so much broader based, but they only have like, I don't know what, 200 guys that they rotate around between their two shows and, and at any given time. And some of them are under contract that don't even get used. One that comes to mind that I think got wasted is Curtis Axel. Yeah. He, he didn't have yeah. any place else to go and yeah. Vince would keep him under contract, but he wouldn't use him or didn't know how to use him, which is rare. Cause usually Vince come up with something, you know, his yeah. creative team would, you know, make him a, a gorilla or any dumb thing, you know, but, <laughs> but these guys didn't. And then, you know, I tell folks, I say, you know, with all the territories, another one that I, before I forget, cause it just popped into my head. Another one that was huge in the Pacific Northwest was Don Jardine. Yes. In, yeah. in the er, in the 60s yeah. and even some of the early 70s. 70s as yeah. Don Jardine, not as the spoiler, not as Super Destroyer mm-hmm. that he worked under other places. But uh, once these guys had no place to go, that dwindled the business down. And then obviously most of these guys are either aged in the business and they you know, can't wrestle anymore or shouldn't and they right. get new jobs or, or, but we had in the day, just in the United States, I tell this to people, you probably had about 3000 wrestlers yeah, that were making for the era, for the times, good money. Yeah. 3000 of them. They could go here. They could go there. They, they could start there. They could come back home to this territory. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then when it all got shrunk down, it looks bigger and fancier. And But you only have 200 guys now. That at any given time, that's all there's room for. And the rest of these guys are working little tiny independents and hoping they get five bucks or ten bucks to, to do what they're doing. And they're just happy to do it on Friday night and, you know, work their day job digging holes somewhere in the sewers or whatever they're doing. I mean, that's what happened. Yeah, I know, yeah. 
No, you're right. Uh, unfortunately, the business today, you know, those wrestlers, they don't have they have very limited opportunity uh, to compare it to what they had, <clears throat> excuse me, in the territory era. I wish someday, I hope someday, but that it would come back. I really do, but I just think, I don't think it will, but my God, I would love it if it did. Just to have something to for guys to fall back on. Once you leave the WWE or now AEW, and you can't go to either one for whatever reason, yeah, you're you're going. Doesn't mean you know, doesn't mean you're not going to get a payday, but you're going to have to do some traveling, huge, yeah, and go to some of these small little independents that run every three months, right? Um, and so it's co- unfortunate. A couple more names just came to me, Pacific Northwest. Sure. These are yeah. names that were, were huge in the business, not just in the in Portland. Um, Stan Stasiak, Stan Crusher Stasiak, and he had a coffee break run with the WWF yeah. title. Uh, he was huge in Texas, huge yeah. in uh, Canada. Um, yeah. uh, Steve Regal, Mr. Electricity. Electricity. Yeah. He was there. And this is another name. This stuff comes to me as I'm talking here. Um, another name that we didn't mention, Buzz Sawyer. Bad dog. Bad dog Buzz Sawyer, who was yeah. big in the South, had some great matches, and you know, yeah, definitely. These the all of these guys, yeah, they they were not only main eventers, but they they got either got their start or they were part of the promotion when it was really rocking in Portland. Yeah. Or they came in, you know, at different times. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been a great conversation, a great piece. Portland, probably in one in my mind, probably one of the most underappreciated territories because it isn't talked about a lot. You hear about other ones, the Mid Atlantic, Georgia, uh you know, but you don't hear too much about Portland, unfortunately. And that was a big uh, start for a lot of guys that we talked about. So, you know, ladies Brian, and gentlemen, I was going to just say one of the things that I've really become aware of, even more so in the last year and a half, two years, is the there's been kind of a paradigm shift. the The age demographics has really changed again because mm-hmm. right now if a person started following wrestling in the early eighties and mm-hmm. say they were, let's just say in 1980, they were 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are 40 years later, they're approaching 60 and that's what they remember. And so now the seventies and the sixties and the fifties are really becoming a lost. And that's what, that's where the, Portland area was huge in the sixties and seventies. And I said, even earlier in the fifties, but that age demographics is so important because my age right now, I'm, I'm at the point where I almost can't talk to anybody because they only remember from 80, 85 going forward. And you know, they're 55 years old now, but you know, I'm 102. So I, I don't have people to talk to anymore. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we well, can always yeah, come on and talk to a, me it's a lost <laughs> it is a lost era that yeah, it is unless i stay alive and, and a few others like me who really want to keep those those eras alive 
Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, they they're going to be forgotten, literally. Well, not as long as I run this podcast, I'm going to get well, those on there. As long as I'm there, breathing, they won't die. But right. my right. audience is getting thinner. <laughs> okay, George, Mr. George Shire, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate. It. Always love your insight. Uh, you're such a wealth of knowledge and always love to have you on. So thank you for coming on today, talking about the Portland Pacific Northwest. Uh, it was territory. one of my favorite it. territories. I, yeah. I've got a ton of programs. I used to get my programs from Dean Silverstone, who was a promoter yeah. and, and as well as yeah. a part of CAC. And he okay. used to exchange programs with me and uh, great. Territory. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Oh, my pleasure, folks. If you're watching, thank you. If you're listening, thank you. And if you haven't subscribed, please do so, and we will talk to you soon. Hey, this is Total Package. Lex Luger, you're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. VOC Nation's own Stromaestro suffered a major medical and financial catastrophe this year from the VOC Nation family. To all of you, please continue to pray for Strom Maestro for his continued recovery. You can also donate to his cause, paypal.me slash The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Cassie Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right, Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Yo, this is Jerry Stiggs of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You get, get nasty? Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts, and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts will include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hicks, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. Archive free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter, at VOCNation. Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, Tony here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my... 
Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect well, is? Well, I'll tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found a true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think, uh, I don't know what to say, but I, I want to say one thing. Bruno was an early champion. Yeah. Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is Bill Actor, and once again, we're speaking here with Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiants? Well, actually, it was a, a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a did loss. Did didn't have anything to do with Well, yes, but the whole thing is this, that the rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation radio network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. 